have a, a world-class practice facility on the Capitol side. We're building a world-class practice facility on the Wizards side. Um, both teams pay to the cap, pay a little bit over the cap uh, for the Wizards. We spent about, what, $240 million in commitments this summer on uh, extending John Wall and Otto Porter. We're very, very serious about trying to field uh, championship-caliber teams. And, um, you know, I think our, our one regret is that we, we haven't won a championship yet. Welcome, everyone. I'm Paul Rabel. This is Suiting Up Podcast, and it is episode number, as I scroll to my phone, we don't number our shows. But we're in our 20s. I know that. And it's been really energizing putting these together, interviewing our guests, and getting feedback that's primarily been positive, and the constructive feedback has been very helpful as we continue to hone in on delivering a really nice product. So this week's guest, he's a good buddy of mine. His name's Zach Leonsis, and he is the vice president and GM of Monumental Sports Network, which is a first-of-its-kind regional sports network for digital, mobile, and over-the-top platforms, those OTTs that we've been hearing about for several years. We explain what all that means on the show. Monumental Sports Network, though, is owned by Monumental Sports and Entertainment, called MSE, which was founded and chaired by Zach's father, Ted Leonsis. And Ted, well... He's a co-founder of AOL and one of the most decorated and sophisticated tech investors and sports operators on the planet, if not the most. I promise you that. The Leontises own the Washington Capitals, the Washington Wizards, the Mystics, the formerly Verizon Center, now Capital One Arena, two Arena Football League teams, and most recently controlling interest in Team Liquid, which is the most successful global esports franchise. Those are just the teams that they're operating right now, much less their investment portfolio. So suffice to say, the Leonsis family are the leaders in sports ownership, business forecasting, media, thanks to Zach, and investing. They're also in my backyard, D.C., which is where I travel to sit down with Zach in his office and talk shop. This, my friends, is some quality stuff. Suiting Up is a show that explores the psychology, playbook of tools, and strategies of the most influential people in sports, entertainment, and business. Zach covers all three. Enjoy the show. All right, brother. Let's do it. We're in your offices. This is my first time sitting down in your offices. Yeah. When, when's the last time you came to our arena? Was it the, the uh, last Caps game you came That's to? That's right. Nice. We won that game. You won. I think I, you've I'm, got a good I'm, record here. I am two for two. Yeah. The, hey, you can come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to have you here because you're not uh, often in D.C. And it's nice to see you again. Last time we were together, we were in uh, in New York in June. It was fun That's to right. catch up. But too long, man. And we got to hang out more often. Yeah. Yeah, I've really appreciated building this relationship with you and, and understanding more broadly how you guys are operating as as a platform, which one of four groups in on the planet that when we talk about monumental sports entertainment that owns the sports teams, um, owns the real estate, so the, the venue that they play in, the practice facilities, um, you have a, a piece of the network, the major network, the regional network. You have your own OTT. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other areas. You have supporting investments through Revolution that probably help aid your overall strategy. You, know, you are VP and GM of Monumental Sports Network, which we're going to talk about fascinating times with the OTT versus traditional cable network and, and broadcasting of sports rights. And we're mm-hmm. seeing the chase from the big four for the next round of rights in major sports. Um, if you take a step back and look at this massive platform that you guys are overseeing, 
how do you coalesce your vision on like a quarterly and annual basis? Like what are, what are key targets? What's meaningful to you guys as you continue to progress? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I, I think that there are a handful of different constituent groups, so to speak, that we really have to be thoughtful about as we run our business and operate the teams. Um, the first one is our community. Um, we are located in downtown Washington, D.C., and we take a lot of pride in um, being a privately owned building. Um, we pay a big mortgage on the building, and yeah. we stimulate a lot of uh, tax dollars and a lot of economic activity in the, the downtown region, and we're really proud of that. Um, we like to think we're good neighbors in Washington, D.C. Um, we do a lot of philanthropic endeavors, and we also understand that our teams hold a little bit of the city's morale in its hands, as do the other teams in Washington, yeah. D.C., and we take that seriously. Um, so we, we want to be great partners in our community and to the DMV, District Maryland and Virginia, first off. And then, hey, we, we got to service our fans. We have to make sure that our fans are happy, uh, enjoying the experience, and that we're fielding winning teams. Yeah. Um, I think that the approach that um, you know my dad and, and us, we've always taken to our teams, is that there are no quick fixes, there are no shortcuts. Um, teams or, you know, groups that try to cheat and, uh, it, you know, get these sort of Band-Aid sort of solutions, they, they, they don't often work. Right. Um, so we really try to take long-term views. Um, we definitely are big believers in, in drafting our, our core players and developing those core players. I think we've done that on the capital side and yeah. uh, we've done that on the wizard side. I think we're really one of only three or four teams in the entire league who have drafted and retained um, they're sort of big three, so to speak. And ours is John Wall, Otto Porter, and Bradley right. Beal with the Wizards. Um, we spent committed a lot of money this offseason to do so. and But now we have longevity, consistency from which we can build off of, and we can really kind of hone in on that chemistry. Um, and then obviously we have our, our partners and, and, and the, you know, our sort of internal constituents. We have to make sure that we run a, uh, you know, a positive business and we want to be a growing business. As you said, you know, we're one of only four, I would say, groups in North America that have multiple teams, multiple venues, and now multiple media networks. Um, you know, we're best known for our team brands, the Washington Capitals, the Washington Wizards, the Washington Mystics, and the WNBA. I think we'll get into this later, but we recently launched two Arena Football League teams, yeah. uh, one in Washington, one in Baltimore, which we're really excited about. Um, we have announced that we're acquiring an NBA G League team, which is the minor league equivalent for the yeah. NBA. That'll be very important for the Wizards. Um, we operate on a team basis, uh, two minor league hockey teams, the AHL Hershey Bears and the ECHL South Carolina Stingrays. They're development systems for the Washington Capitals. We're big believers in farm systems. And if you have a great um, development system, it really bodes well for, for the big club. Um, and then we've also made investments into esports. We invested into an endemic team called Team Liquid um, that we co-invested in with uh, Peter Guber, who owns the Golden State Warriors right. and the LA Dodgers, um, as well as Jeff Vinnick, who owns the Tampa Bay Lightning. So we have a really fun and, and interesting group there. We're great, great people. Um, and then lastly, we were a hand raiser for the new NBA 2K League. Yeah. Uh, so we will launch a team this spring. We recently hired a director of esports sports here at Monumental to help lead that initiative. Um, so depending on how you slice it, you could count us as 
five going on six teams or right. <laughs> nine going on 10 teams. Well, uh, so it, it's an interesting portfolio of, of brands. And then to have the building here at Verizon Center, we operate Eagle Bank Arena, which is an 11,000 person venue. We have the practice facility for the Capitals, Kettler Capitals Iceplex. Um, and then we're building a brand new practice facility for the Wizards on the campus of St. Elizabeth's in Ward 8 of Washington, D.C. And we're excited about that venue because it'll have a four and a half thousand person um, arena as well. Right. So the Mystics will play there. Uh, our future G League team will play there. We'd love to open, you know, owned and operated. Um, athletic events could be a great esports venue. Um, events DC will, will run a lot of the scheduling and the like that want to bring in shows and, and, and concerts and the like. Uh, I think that four and a half thousand to five thousand person venue size is a, is a unique sweet spot. Um, and it helps us scale from, you know, a thousand person venue, 5,000, 10,000, right. 20,000 people here at Capital One Arena. And then, like you mentioned, you know, this, this past fall, a little under a year ago, we launched this brand new partnership with NBC. Um, to engage in a long-term media partnership with CSM Atlantic, which will soon be rebranded as NBC Sports Washington, um, where we acquired a minority equity stake with board representation, larger rights fees around the Washington Capitals and Washington Wizards games, but then also NBC invested in launching a brand new over-the-top direct-to-consumer sister network called Monumental Sports Network. And that's where we really house a lot of the rest of our content and all of our live programming for all of our other teams. Um, I think it well positions us for reaching sort of that next generation of fan and consumer. And a lot of our business strategy and goals are focused on that. We right. want to make sure we reach that next generation of fan um, because it's an evolving landscape. Uh, and, and I think that is frankly what makes sports business and media so interesting these days. Yeah. Wow, so the platform's huge. As we can, uh, we can just listen to that, probably play it back several times. Uh, I think in a world right now where if you have the business sophistication, the hard skills and the soft skills, which you guys have demonstrated since 1999 when you first purchased the caps and probably preceding a few years to that was the analysis of getting into sports and entertainment so it's been a while where you've created and constructed this platform and have the vision to where you are now. But in a world where the holding co, the platform business has been disrupted because it's difficult to give undivided attention to each project, you even look at some of the best sports business operators on the planet have one team in one league that they spend and dedicate all of their time to, and it's a challenge. Uh, how do you guys create the infrastructure uh, beyond right, the, the, the core values and trust that you have within your family and, and starting with, with your father down, there's trust there, to fully continue to grow all of these uh, businesses and now real estate and media? Like, how do you let's just start with trust? Like, how do you see that through? It's a good question. I, I, I think it starts with people, and we're very lucky in that we have a really strong leadership team here. Um, we have a, a great president of business ops in Jim Van Stone and a great president of venues in Dave Tuohy. Um, we have a great 
partnership with NBC. Um, talk about a great institutional partner in the media space there. Um, and I would say we're also not afraid to take risk. And we're yeah. trying to foster a culture here of, of um, being entrepreneurial, um, being millennial-centric, Gen Z-centric, um, adapting to sort of the changing face of our community. And, you know, my dad often says that, you know, his goal as an organization is to hold a mirror up to our community. What are we, um, how are we serving our fans based on how they want to be served? Yeah. And, and and so when we change our strategies or we, do, or we expand, a lot of it is in, in response to what we hear from, uh, from individuals in our community. Um, when we launched the Arena Football League teams, uh, it was because we thought it would be a great summer programming opportunity. It was affordable. It was fun. It was an easy night out for a, a 22-year-old college grad to go with friends, to hang out in the Bud Light party zone, and then immediately continue on with their evening. Um, it was a great opportunity for families to come in. Um, and it was an alternative that was inside uh, in a building or an arena that's highly accessible. Uh, when we made our investments into esports, it was because, gosh, there's just this huge burgeoning uh, audience that, you know, I, I would say operators in the traditional major four leagues maybe aren't always exposed to. Yeah. They're, they're younger customers and they're digesting content in a totally different way than I, I think most people are used to. Um, most sports uh, are linear television first and digital second as a complementary channel. And esports, I think, is the first example of. Um, you know, where that sort of paradigm shifts and gets flipped on its head, where cable is sort of the complementary um, distribution source and, and, and digital is, is the primary one. Um, but so to get back to your original question, I mean, I think it starts with people, it starts with culture, and we do our best. But, um, you know, we try to pride ourselves on being a fully integrated organization. Uh, several of our departments are fully integrated and operate across multiple teams and properties. Um, there are some specialized groups, and you learn some of these things through some trial and error, too. Um, but we've, we've reached a little bit of a scale where we, we think we have an understanding of how we can layer additional activities on and how we can scale full-time employees to, to really, I would say, make sure that each individual property receives the attention that it deserves because the fans of those properties deserve the highest quality experience possible. Right. So you would, so it, it would be fair to say that from an org structure, you have, you know, your executive and leadership team that uh, is, is enabled to go across properties and are probably uh, collaborating together and then specific business units folks you've hired full-time to execute on that, whether it be in the specific teams or the arena and handling yep. the Yep, and there are some efficiencies that come with shared resources yep. from sort of corporate overhead and the like, but there are specialized units for, you know, marketing for each of the individual teams, for ticket sales for each of the individual team, but, you know, corporate partnerships, uh, global partnerships, we're able to sort of sell across all platforms from, hmm. from one group. So there, there are efficiencies that, you know, I, I think sort of evolve themselves over time because you see what, what, what works. And now this is, I, I think we're going into the seventh year of um, the whole company being together. And, you know, I, I would say it's only been in the past couple of years that we've kind of 
projected into growth mode with adding franchises, adding a new venue uh, in, in, in at the St. Elizabeth's campus, completing our media rights deal. We recently announced a brand new naming rights partner here at Capital One Arena. Yep. We're really excited about that. So we've had, a, a I would say, a, a busy two years in terms of landing a lot of planes and, and, and announcing a lot of new partnerships. And we're going to be investing about $40 million back into the arena. So um, I have to stop calling it Verizon Center. Yes, yeah. you, you, <laughs> okay. you, you, you do. You do. So I, That's I, awesome. Yep, That's I, really I, exciting. I, yep. It's funny. My dad and I have a running tally on... On, um, uh, fines, so to speak. Okay. If, if I ever slip, he's like, "Hey, that's twenty bucks." And, okay, and, you know, he'll slip every now and then too, and I'll yeah. say, "Okay, I think we're even now." Gotcha. So I liked what you said about holding the mirror up um, to the city and the community, and I've heard both of you guys speak about it at several conferences. Um, the alignment between Washington D.C. and Baltimore as a super city. Uh, there's that conversation and the conversation around how dense this marketplace is for millennials, which data shows that over the next few years will represent 80% plus of the workforce, um, you know, are the highly discerning customers now that are now turning parents, right? So there's a generational turn where that impact that we have on millennials that everyone's been talking about from a brand advertising operations standpoint is then going to be passed along to offspring, which is a world where... You know, we can only imagine with technology growth and AI and all that other stuff that I don't want to go off on tangent to too quickly. Uh, but can you uh, clarify the vision around the super city, the connectivity between D.C. and Baltimore, why you guys are so bullish on this market and the impact that millennials have? Yeah, I think that first and foremost, we think of ourselves as our region's biggest cheerleaders. We're really proud to be in Washington, and we're yeah. really proud that Baltimore is sort of uh, the next door city. That we're, we're sister cities in, in, in many respects. Um, you read a lot uh, of data reports out there that talk about um, this huge shift from people living in rural uh, sort of sprawl and moving back into cities. I mm -hmm. think cities have never been quite as popular to live in as they are today. And, you know, the development across um, several of the major 30 cities in the United States suggests that. There's huge development happening in Washington, D.C., as there is in, in Baltimore. Yep. Uh, and like you said, it's being driven by younger customers and consumers, right? They're, they're going to college here, um, and then they're getting jobs here, and they're, they're staying here. And that's yep. a wonderful, wonderful thing and a, and a very healthy sign of growth for, for any region. Um, I think that super, the idea of a super city is important because um, you get these tri-state areas, so to speak, that are starting to blend together, right? New York is a tri-state yep. state area. Um, the DMV is a tri-state area. Philadelphia, to a certain extent, is a tri-state area. Um, and so D.C. is one of probably five locales in the in the country or, or North America rather um, that have been identified by several things think takes including ET Kearney and the like as being super cities we are uh, um, uh, not only quickly growing and with the young cust uh, customer and consumer base um, but also highly sophisticated in terms of uh, wireless connectivity uh, top academic universities and colleges yep. home to three major domestic and international airports. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot going on here, right? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of economic stimulus happening in our region. And so, you know, we have to take a, a view as a private company 
um, that's long-term, right? Um, I think that fed a lot of our um, media strategies and in, in, in talking with NBC and determining together that launching an, an over-the-top direct-to-consumer platform was important. Um, our region has about 7.5 million people between Richmond and Baltimore, uh, and that's expected to grow past 15 million people in just the next decade or so. Hmm. I mean, explosive growth. Um, the cable uh, model is still very strong, despite, I think, what you read um, in a lot of media reports. And it's the reason why we did our deal with CSM in Atlantic. We think the RSNs are particularly well positioned to retain subscribers and um, keep sort of their core business model very, very strong. But we also can't keep our heads in the sand. We understand that... Um, media consumption is changing. And a lot of that is coming from sort of what is the muscle memory of younger customers, right? Mm. They're, they're going to college and new college dormitories are being built without uh, cable coax uh, outlets. They're, instead, they're being built with really high-speed wireless connectivity. And, you know, my dad tells this story all the time. When I went to college, the first yeah. thing I asked was, hey, mom and dad, can you buy me a TV? Right. It would be great. You know, I, I'd love a TV. And I want to watch games on the TV. You right. know, thanks. So they did that. And then my sister went to college four years after me, and my mom and dad said, okay, we, you know, we love you evenly. So, Ellie, we'd like to buy you a similar TV. <laughs> and Ellie was like, I don't want a TV. I, right. I'm never going to use it. I, would you buy me an iPad? And said it's probably the same price, right? And, and would you also pay for my subscription to Netflix and Hulu and whatnot? Right. So, you know, I'm my age bracket, uh, we're kind of in this limbo period where I subscribe to cable and I also subscribe to Netflix and other services like that. Um, the generation after me won't be subscribing to cable and, and there won't be a desire to do so. Um, and we have to adapt to that. I also think that, you know, the, the businesses that probably have the best long-term future prospects are ones that have direct relations with their customers. They're mm -hmm. not disintermediated by, by a third-party distributor. And so when we go direct to consumer in our network, Monumental Sports Network, we really understand who who these people are. Um, you know, we, we understand where they live and, and why they're watching what they're watching, what they're fans of, what crossover they might have. It helps us in a big way to optimize our product bundle and our product mix to figure out, hey, you know, people didn't like this, so let's stop that. Let's spend more money on 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 doing more of what people really, really do like. And yeah. so, you know, since we've launched, we've actually streamed uh, close to 500 games on our platform. Uh, we've done uh, close to 100 hours of original programming, yep. which has been really fun and exciting. You're thinking far beyond just the properties that you have. You and I have talked about how valuable high school is to the OTT platform, Correct. high school games. So we, we've uh, made major expansions into the grassroots level. Um, talk about re reaching, you know, Gen Zers, so to speak, you know, yeah. uh, kids who are still in, in high school. Which and, is that official, by the families. way? I think Gen Z is like the call right now. Is it? I, yeah, I, is I think it, so. What's next? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Is it centennials or the, something? The millennials like that? kids, yeah. I, I guess, that we're, that we're talking about. I feel about. bad because those terms are kind of like butchered to a certain degree right. uh, at this point. I mean, they're, they're a little overused, but, you know, they're useful for the purposes of, you know, kind of long term. And the tendencies and on like screen and through social and consumption is, is, is very different. I mean, yep. We're both millennials, but 17 and 18 year olds 
I mean, honestly, they're not, they're not even texting each other anymore. They're just swapping Snapchat usernames and, and using those forums to go DM. Yep, exactly. And so I, I think that, you know, for the majority of our grassroots programming, you know, we do do probably a couple hundred games and we'll continue to do that next year when basketball, football, hockey and lacrosse. Uh, and maybe even volleyball and a couple of other uh, sports. And we've been able to experiment with some, I'd say, quote-unquote, lightweight production experiences that allow us to scale and get a lot of content um, without you know, the burden of a really expensive production experience. You know, when the capital- White tech is like, is, is like these singular cameras that use AI to have to follow the, the product. On Correct. The There's a really interesting company out there called Keymotion that is yeah. doing some cool stuff. And, uh, and then we're also trying to take advantage of the fact that we're um, on you know, mobile touchscreens and the like. And so we just launched a partnership with a company called Kiswe. So now yeah. when you watch the majority of our games, uh, you can see this four camera, multi, pick your own angle sort of experience um, with rewind, fast forward capabilities, and then social clipping functionality, right? So, you know, my ideal scenario is, uh, you know, you're watching the game on your Roku device or, or on your laptop and you have your mobile app open as a second screen experience. You're saying, okay, I want to see what it looks like from, you know, the reverse angle. Okay, that was awesome. I want to rewind, make sure I clip it. Uh, from whatever angle I want. In the AFL, we've, been, we've really had license to experiment, and we deployed um, these hat cams courtesy of a company called Action Streamer, which, you know, one day it would be great to see if we could get them built into helmets. Yeah. Um, but, um, and Dahani know, Jones probably listening to this, and he's got to come on the podcast, man, because he's da- a part of the company. <laughs> yeah, Dahani definitely needs to come on. Yeah, Dahani is a mutual friend of ours. Yeah, Dahani, yeah. if you're listening, I hope you're doing well. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, no, he, he introduced us to the, to the product idea, and it, it was very cool. I mean, their secret sauce is they're able to um, stream a lot live uh, event uh, through sort of a high frequency um, area like an arena with 10 to 20,000 people in it, right? You got 10 to 20,000 people on cell phones. There's a, a lot of frequency happening in the building. It's hard to cut through that clutter and make sure there's no buffering. Right. Uh, and so we had, you know, uh, uh, head coach cam and referee cam and you can rewind and then go back to the sort of the traditional broadcast experience and the like. Um, I think that interactivity and engagement um, is where things are going. It's what younger customers want. Uh, I also think it's intriguing. The first time you see an interactive broadcast experience like that, you 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 go, "This is a thing. I can do this." Right. Um, because right now, you know, linear broadcast TV is a little bit like a one-way conversation. Oh, There's for sure. A producer in a truck. And he's going, you know, go to camera two, cut to camera three, roll the replay here, put the graphics package on. Um, and, you know, you're, you're not in control sitting in your couch. And I, I think we want to flip that. But different audiences react differently, too. I think, like, the esports audience is a completely different, yeah. um, you know, sort of set of behavior and, and cultural norms. And, you know, each audience deserves respect and, and you need to adapt to best serve them. I like, I like the example of the TV producer in the truck because that's effectively what the user becomes with Kizwi, right? Like you're seeing all of these different angles and you touch one and it becomes the main screen. Yep. Is that right? You got it. You yeah. got it. And then further, Action Streamer, what you and I had talked about, what you really like about it is, is it in big venues with a lot of people, we always, the, the biggest challenge, you can introduce all this technology to the people to, 
to better the fan experience on screen because everyone's on their screen at these mm -hmm. games rather than combating and embracing it. But you run into buffering challenges. Yep. It's difficult. The digital world is, is very hard. And so, you know, we've tried to pitch ourselves in our, our first year as we grow a paid subscriber base and we activate, you know, corporate partnership agreements. We've tried to describe ourselves as a little bit of a Petri dish. Mm -hmm. We're the first regionalized direct-to-fan sports service like this. Uh, and we've taken a ton of learnings from this first year. And that's why I'm extra excited about the second year, because it's going to be that much better. I think people are going to enjoy it much, much more. Um, but we're going to continue to try new things and we'll continue to make mistakes and, and fail at things too. But at least we tried them. Uh, and there are going to be a few things that hit and that we go, oh, this was, this was great. We will always do this moving forward. What what uh, vetting process do you have in place to even get on your Petri dish? Because I would imagine that, I mean, of, of in this short start to the pod, all the groups that you've named you're working with, very innovative and exploratory, experimenting with, I would imagine there's a, a multiple, fairly high multiple of, of deal flow that comes your way trying to also get on the MSE Petri dish. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, some of it is related to budget sometimes. Some of these things are more expensive than others. Um, some of these things have greater value to our experience than, than others based on, you know, a judgment call, based on consumer feedback. We like to make as much of our decision to, you know, being data-driven as possible. Um, but for a lot of these new tools, a lot of them haven't been implemented yet. And so it's hard to to measure. And so that's, you know, why we're willing to try some of these things out. I, I think that, you know, we have to be, I don't want to say conservative, but we need to be reasonable about yep. how much we introduce that at one time. Um, if you threw 10 new things all uh, out at once, you probably wouldn't have a good measure of how any of them really perform. So we try to do our best to prioritize. Um, yeah, we, it is interesting some of the things you see from, you know, a product feature standpoint, things that could be integrated into our media networks for team ops purposes in terms of, you know, we, we're a, a client of Striver, yep. uh, virtual reality. Uh, we film a lot of uh, footage from practice so players can – uh, actually, actually put on the goggles. Is and, this and, just and with the Wizards out. or the Caps, Mystics? So it's with the Caps, Wizards, and Mystics. And um, actually in the Wizards' new practice facility, there will be a, a separate room just for VR. Wow. Just so a guy can go in by himself uh, and, and watch himself play the, the inbounds pass. Um, sometimes it's a great visualization tool. Oh, too. it's unbelievable. Um, I got to see product yourself test that. Hitting and... a lot of shots. Yeah, uh, at it Stanford. Makes a difference. Yeah, and, and so you guys have invested in the actual implementation at the practice facility because you have to, the way that Striver works VR is is that they're actually creating a value proposition for the players and teams in way of scouting. So they'll come in and they'll set up cameras and they'll create a real-time look of how this zone defense is set up in the, mm -hmm. in the Wizards' next opponent. So then John Wall can go and throw the headset and actually take mental reps versus all the physical reps that can be taxing in practice and get used to you know, the player's speed, and you can speed it up, slow it down. Yep. Uh, but you have to have a room that's closed off because you put 
these VR goggles on someone and they could just go run off and slam themselves. <laughs> so there's, I remember being in the one at Stanford. I'm sure it's progressed since a couple of years ago, but you guys are investing in that space, which isn't cheap. We are. I, I think it's important. Um, I, I do think that there will be a big future for VR outside of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, that's more lifestyle based. Um, but you know, we should back up a second and I should be transparent in saying we want to win too. We, yeah. you know, we, we, we've had some, some excellent teams and, and last year, uh, both the Capitals and Wizards made the playoffs. The Mystics have already qualified for the playoffs. One of our arena football league teams made the playoffs. We hope the same will hold true next year as well. Um, we have not won a championship yet. And that is our number one deliverable and, and, and what we have to accomplish next. There, there are no bones about it. And so if our, um, I would say, team ops leadership says, hey, we need this to get us closer to reaching that goal, we're, we're willing to do it. Right. Um, so we, we, I, I think it's, it's sort of our job to create this strong foundation in terms of having a positive presence in the community, um, having strong business infrastructure, um, having a great brand that people love and are passionate about, are emotional about. Um, and then based off of that, giving the budget to the teams to be able to uh, complete their goals. And, you know, we, we have a, a world-class practice facility on the capital side. We're building a world-class practice facility on the Wizards side. Um, both teams pay to the cap, pay a little bit over the cap uh, for the Wizards. We yeah. spent about, what, $240 million in commitments this summer on uh, extending John Wall and Otto Porter. We're very, very serious about trying to field uh, championship-caliber teams. And, um, you know, I think our, our one regret is that we, we haven't won a championship yet, but uh, we're, we're going to keep knocking on the door. And one of these days, we hope we can, we can have that mix of skill and, and, and luck yeah. and health and the calls go your way. I mean, there's so much it's, that goes so into much. winning a championship. And, um, you know, I, I think it is our dream to one day see a championship bring our community get together in a way that I think few other events really can do. Um, yeah. I remember I, I can imagine a parade coming down F Street right I, here. I, yeah, I, I can do, but I, I try not to because I don't want to <laughs> jinx it. Awesome. I, I'm, I'm a little superstitious. I, I remember I, I went to University of Pennsylvania for my undergrad experience, and I was there when the Phillies won the World Series. It's the only time I've been in a city when they had won a championship. And I was downtown uh, for a different event, and I remember going outside, and it was like pandemonium. I mean, people yeah. were hanging off of street lamps, and people were crying. Um, you know, my dad has incredibly fond memories of growing up in New York, and my grandfather, his dad, uh, bought him as a as a birthday present season tickets to go see the Jets. And that year they went to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl three, and they beat the Colts. They mm. won. Joe Namath, the guarantee. The big game. Yep. And yeah. you know that that's still one of my dad's sort of deepest and most cherished memories. Uh, one of my most cherished memories was you know when the Capitals went to the Stanley Cup final mm-hmm. uh, in ninety seven, ninety eight. I mean, I remember it was the first time in my life where I could really grasp. Um, what was going on and the gravity of what these games meant. And I remember just idolizing, you know, Ole Kolzig, yeah. uh, who won the Conn Smythe that year. And, um, you know, I remember they played the, the Bruins and the Senators, and my dad was taking me to a game. We were playing the Sabres, and Dominic Hasek was in net yeah. for the Sabres, wow. you know, one of the greatest goaltenders of all time. And I remember my dad saying, you know, son, I know you're really excited about the team, 
I just want to warn you, this is a tough one. You know, the, the Capitals aren't favored in this one. It, 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 I, I just want to warn you. And of course, we won, which was amazing. So I, I remember staying up, sort of sneaking out past my bedtime. My mom had thought I'd gone to bed and, and turning on the TV and watching the games against the Red Wings when they played the first two games on the road. And, um, you know, I, I, I wish the team would have would have won a championship that year, of course. And I, I hope one day we, we can with our, our current team. Um, we're going to keep knocking and, and hopefully it happens because that, that will be, everything will be worth sort of that lifelong indelible right. memory and the bonds that are created between family members and friends over, over those opportunities. I mean, I almost get emotional thinking about it. Yeah. Um, it it's something we, we are, we are desperately trying to reach. I think it, it also differentiates not only successful entrepreneurs and operators and investors, but when you're in sports, there is that elusive mark where you guys have created an amazing business and built communities from it that 10 out of 10 folks would deem successful, but then there's the elusive, kind of uncontrollable, in a way, uh, at least from our seats, uh, the championship that can be won on court or on ice, uh, we had, I remember having that conversation with you while we were watching the Caps play, and it was it was a different one. I think we were talking about high school, and it was like, I'll never, co- I don't plan on coaching lacrosse or basketball. Maybe one day for for offspring, if it were ever to go in that direction, but for fun at the youth level. But as a player, I have enough anxiety on field <laughs> of trying to win and execute. I can only imagine when when you're investing just as much potentially more, and you have no control of the on-field or on-court or on-ice product. And then from the ownership perspective, when you plug in people in place, there are those degrees of separation, but the investment emotionally into that championship is the same, if not more. Um, and, and it's it's got to be uh, an amazing yeah, from, from feeling that perspective, and complicated. We're just I mean we're we're fans. We're fans yeah. too, right? We're we're one of the biggest fans out there, right? Um, I, I think that's something we also do is you know the the general management in place. It's their team to run. Um, they're the pros. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anyone here tries to fool themselves and think that we should be operating a roster and we never have done that. Um, and so, you know, Mac on the cap side and, and Ernie on the wizard side have done great jobs of, 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 of fielding really, really competitive teams. Yeah. And, um, we, we have high expectations for both teams now and, uh, they have high expectations of themselves. Yeah. Um, we should have the tools to be able to do something great. And, you know, we, we pray that one day yeah. it'll play out in our favor. Today's episode is sponsored by an entrepreneur-made company, a group who created the perfect luggage. They are called Away, and their approach was simple. It was to create special objects that are designed to be resilient, resourceful, and essential to the way both you and I travel. They pulled thousands of people on how they pack, why they travel, and what bugs them about their luggage. This is the entrepreneurial part. Then they designed a bag that solved a few old problems. Two of them being having sticky wheels that don't really maneuver in a 360-degree angle like you see many people carrying around the airport these days. And many of us in the airport run our batteries low and our cell phones die. So us customers get to choose from nine colors and four sizes. They're called the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, or the large. And those are for extended stays. I've got an away carry-on myself, and it's got those spinner wheels, charging ports, 
They're all TSA approved and they have lifetime warranties. These are all major things that I look for in the perfect luggage. Plus, plus, your bag will ship for free and include a 100-day warranty. Now, here's what my listeners get in way of discount for listening to Suiting Up Pod. You'll get $20 off a suitcase if you visit awaytravel.com forward slash Rabel and use promo code Rabel during checkout. That's it. 20 bucks off this amazing carry-on perfect luggage, awaytravel.com forward slash Rabel and use promo code Rabel during checkout. Talk about your competitiveness. We, you mentioned going to UPenn. You studied comm, and, and which is clear. You've always been. We've sat. We've sat on a live panel together. Now doing this communications. I, I, I've said this the other day. If I could go back and repick a a a uh, focus, it would have. Whether would have been one of them, given what I'm doing now. Communications, finance. Uh, you got your MBA at Georgetown. Prior to that, though, uh, well, Paul, you're like triple threat these days because you're <laughs> you're elite. Elite, elite athlete. You're your own media company now, and you're also an investor, right? Yeah. So I mean, you're wearing a lot of hats these days. Before we turn on these mics, we were talking about how, like, where is your bandwidth? Where right. do you have um, time to to have your own life too? Um, and, I mean, it's impressive what you what you started to to build here. Appreciate that. I was listening to a podcast by on NPR. Um, with the with the founders of Airbnb, and they actually made one comment that stuck among many. The one that they that made that stuck was when they were first kind of building the business, where you know Airbed and Breakfast, and uh, they had actually launched oddly a a white label cereal box company, and they couldn't get adoption. They didn't even know if they were going to work together. They just knew they were in Silicon Valley together and, and wanted to build something. But the, no, the moment where they realized they wanted to be business partners is they were just up late at night consecutively just on their computers. And they looked across and like, this guy's got grit and he's got work ethic. And this is someone that I want to work with. And I, I suppose I, I, I think of that and bring that up because I was, I was going to ask you about your competitiveness. It's clear that the work ethic is in place with all the properties and the massive platform that you've created. But how do you, how do you think about competition uh and and perhaps in a way that is integrated in the way that you were brought up and formatively became who you are under one of the world's greatest entrepreneurs as a father yeah it's an it's an interesting question I, i mean from my standpoint i'm just another son trying to make his dad proud in, mm. in many respects um you know, I, I certainly don't compete with my dad and never will and don't want to or need to. I mean, my dad and I are, are, are incredibly close. We're, we're best friends. I'm really, really lucky to be able to, to say that. I think my biggest competitor is myself. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there are times when, uh, when I'm tired and I go, oh, I'd, I'd love to just go home and, and relax right now. And I go, no, like you, if you're going to do something, do it right. Um, but it's easy to uh, work hard at something when you really love it too, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you sort of the cliche of follow your dreams, follow your passions. Um, but you know, you don't really think that you're staying up late at night working on something when it's an extension of what you feel like your normal life should be almost. Mm. Um, I very much feel, 
because I've, you know, to a certain degree grown up around this company and around our teams, I feel like it's second family. I, I feel like it's, um, you know, I, I, I very much feel like my identity is, is, is tied up with, with some of our, our, our initiatives and, and the like. And so uh, for me, it's, it's just a, sort of a natural extension of my being. So I, I never really think about it as staying late at work or whatnot. Um, it just kind of my life. Right. Um, so, you know, you asked about competition. I, I, I think that it's less competition and more of a drive to, um, to push myself. Uh, I'm still young and, uh, you know, I, I want to, uh, uh, I want a good, a good reputation personally, obviously. I want our company to do well. I want us to achieve the ultimate goal of winning a championship. I want us to be looked at as good neighbors and good actors in Washington, D.C. I want people in, in our region to be really proud of our company. Mm-hmm. I want them to say, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we have these teams as opposed to, uh, you know, others. Um, I want people to look at our teams and say that these guys do it the right way. And um, that's all we can really ask for, I think. And, and, you know, it's funny in terms of the other teams in the league, um, it is true. You can have the greatest season ever, but if you don't win the championship, you're a loser. Right. And, and, and so that is where we get competitive. We really want to win. Like we talked about earlier. Um, there's no doubt about it, but there's a, a, a very cordial, and friendly relationship amongst the other teams in the league. I mean, we really do view, view the other 29 or now 30 teams in the NHL because the the new addition of mm-hmm. Las Vegas um, as partners, as right. true partners. And and so when you get the opportunity to go to, you know, league-wide meetings, uh, the NBA All-Star Weekend comes to mind. Um, it's a great uh, conference of getting a lot of people together and exchanging thoughts. And uh, you make some great friendships and relationships across the league too. So. Yeah. You mentioned the new, the new franchise fee was above about a half a billion dollars. Was that right, roughly? Um, and when you guys came in, first acquired the Capitals for eighty-five million dollars. Now, something like that. Yeah, give or take, right? Um, I, I I do most of my research through Forbes and Tyler Steinhardt. <laughs> who's, you know, so we'll <laughs> cut us a break. But you have since you know, absolutely. Um, grown the caps from from a top line revenue standpoint, from a, from a valuation standpoint, with the league, but also being one of the the early new money ownership groups that have helped um, do so. How did you take a? I guess what would you identify as as the the primary targets that you guys executed on in the NHL first when? It's fair to say back in 99, it certainly wasn't considered one of the mass team sports as it now is kind of lumped with the NBA, NFL, MLB. Um, well, first off, a lot of uh, that credit deserves uh, – it, it should really go to my dad, Dick Patrick, who's president of, of the Capitals and, and the, sort of the business op staff that, that worked on the Capitals brand and that experience um, you know, before I – even before I worked here uh, in an official capacity. Um, I would say what the Capitals really worked hard on um, was creating a friendly – in-game experience that um, people loved. Uh, you know, we have season ticket members who um, have been with the team for, I mean, all 40 years, uh, or 40 plus years now. Um, but we have season ticket members that have been with us for a decade, and they've been sitting in the same place 
um, and they formed relationships and bonds with the people who were season ticket members next to them. Uh, we've really sort of fostered an organic community within our, our arena. Um, in 1999, you're right, the, the, I would say the Caps following wasn't as big. Um, and, you know, my dad would often try to fight for media coverage. Um, you know, we, the, the Capitals would have, a, you know, go to the NHL draft and um, some of the newspapers in town wouldn't even send reporters. Mm-hmm. They would barely report it. And so I, I think my, what my dad did, which was very interesting, was uh, he really enabled uh, the, the blogging community um, to cover the team. And I, I think we were the first team ever to credential a blogger. Uh, we credentialed a oh, lot wow. of bloggers. So yeah. we said, okay, well, if you're not going to create the media around our team, we'll find other people who want to. And, hmm. and it's amazing how many people are passionate about the teams and, and love to sort of channel that passion into editorial or mixed media and, and, and the like. And um, I think when my dad reached out to some of these individuals, they were shocked that the team was reaching out to them and saying, you know, could you write more? Yeah. Um, I, my, my, something that I, I think my dad does that, that's quite good um, and that really keeps him in, in touch with, with uh, you know, with the general pulse of the fan base is he's constantly uh, on Twitter. Um, yep. but, but back in the day, he was always on message boards and reading what people were saying and, and hearing, um, you know, what, I would say taking their thoughts in, into strong consideration. Do you think that comes from his background on the founding team at AOL and AIM definitely. and creating the forums and all that stuff? Definitely, definitely. I mean, digital media is his native language. Um, and, you know, frankly, at Monumental, yeah, we're, we're a sports entertainment company. We really view ourselves as a media company. We, we view ourselves as a content company, you know, from a business perspective. Um, and now with our big media partnership and, and our over-the-top network, I mean, we really are a media house. It's really fun and, and, and exciting. Um, but then, you know, to top it all off, it also helps being able to draft excellent players. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no doubt Alex Ovechkin has had a huge impact on our franchise and on, on our community. Um, Washington, D.C. is the second fastest growing hub for youth hockey in, in the United States. Wow. We're so proud of that. Um, Keller Capitals Iceplex is about a decade old now. Um, you know, it, it really is one of the greatest practice facilities in, in all of sports. Prior to that, um, there was only the Laurel facility, Correct. Right? Piney Orchard. And, uh, you know, we, we activate a ton of youth hockey camps and leagues there and USA Warrior Hockey. We did the U.S. Uh, yep. Congressional game there. Um, we get about 1.3 or 1.4 million visitors through that facility on an annual basis. It, it's, it, it's really hard to miss when you're in Clarendon. You see the big banners outside featuring, you know, players of the past and, and current stars and um, just making the team more accessible. Practices are open and available mm-hmm. to the public for free. Um, I think people fall in love with some of our players and their personalities, right? Um, there, there is sort of a, um, a great affection uh, for players who you draft. Um, fans see them as rookies or they track them in the minors before they come up, and then you see their growth and development occur in front of you. The last thing I would say is, um, you know, my, uh, this team was blown up in 2003 and 2004, um, purposely. Mm. And, uh, you know, rebuilding is a difficult and oftentimes unpopular strategy. Mm. Um, 
but we were really transparent about it. Uh, my dad would, would, would write letters, open letters to the fan base and talk to season ticket members over the phone and explain, this is why we're doing what we're doing and, mm. and, and you need to understand why. And we're taking a long-term approach here. We're not trying to sugarcoat what we're doing. And, you know, we had to rebuild the Wizards. Yeah. Um, but we were very upfront and transparent about um, the goal and, and, and the strategy here. And now we're starting to see that pay off. And, you know, I, I, I think fans appreciate um, honesty and when you're just straightforward about what's going on with the club. There's no doubt. And, and would it be fair to say that John Wall is is what you guys, your investment in him, is what, what you're hoping to to see um, return on, as, as did for Alex Ovechkin in the community, obviously performance on court. But you and I have had a conversation. You're just like, John Wall just is a basketball nut. He's, he's yeah, always he, in the facility he's obsessed, practicing. Which is exactly what you want right. in your leader. You know, right. it, it's You don't it, want a guy like me running around and making passive investments <laughs> and, and creating media. You want yeah, John I think Wall. you're doing just fine. Paul. But uh, it 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 definitely helps and it definitely works when your best player um, is also your most dedicated. He's your best person. Um He's made you know several big big donations um, to various groups in Washington D.C. Um, he's a good actor. He's someone that our entire fan base and franchise can be proud of and is proud of, and we have great leadership alongside him with Bradley Beal and Otto Porter and mm-hmm. Markeith Morris and Martin Gortat. We've built out our bench again this this off season, so we do think that we're a stronger team heading into next year. Um, but. You're right. I, I, I mean, you have to have guys who love the game, and you got, have to have good people too. It, yeah. It's hard to have a, a great team and a great culture when, when, when guys don't like each other. Right. At a high level, when we talk about the Caps, you can talk about the Wizards, Mystics, arena football, and, and, and even eSports in a way. If you were to pull um, yourself out of the MSC platform and give a high-level rundown of how a pro team should be thinking in terms of operation and and primary revenue streams. If I were to say broadcasting rights, sponsors, gate, you know, are those the the primary focuses? What else would you add to that? Ticket sales are a, are an incredibly core revenue stream yeah. for any team. Uh, season ticket members are are an incredibly important customer base for us, and it's our daily goal and mission to make sure they are happy and that they feel loved by the organization. Because I saw we, Ted we just make a tweet them. about uh, you guys either going surpassing renewal. Yep, the Wizards have had a, a very strong renewal yeah. uh, expectation uh, expectation for the, the this upcoming season, which is really, really great and indicative of the health of the franchise too. Um, corporate partnerships, um, we, we can't do it without our fans. Uh, we can't do it without uh, partners. Yep. Um, executive suite sales, again, uh, VIP suites and the like. Uh, I think that most people think that retail um, clothing, merchandise, and apparel is a really, really significant uh, revenue stream for teams. It, it's actually quite small. Right. Um, is it more than 10% or less? Roughly, probably a little less, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, depends on, yeah. on on the club and the team. Um, and then media rights have exploded because live sports rights uh, really find themselves at this unique intersection 
um, uh, of media with these macro level trends where, you know, live sports is the last frontier of appointment viewing. And it's Mm. one of the last pieces of content and programming that you must have a cable or a satellite subscription for to watch. Um, If you want to watch Capitals or Wizards games, you have to have cable so you can have, you know, CSM in Atlantic, Um, at least if you're in the local territory. There are out-of-market packages online, you know, NHL.TV, NBA package and and whatnot, Um, but it's blacked out. In, in, in the region. And so right. live sports uh, have, uh, have tremendous, tremendous value. And I think we'll continue to have big value. Um, you know, ESPN is the media network that you see the most press around in terms of spending on live sports media rights, but also on sort of the price of their channel in, in terms of an affiliate fee within a larger bundle of networks. Um, it's also the network that you read a lot of press about them shedding subscribers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I do think that at a certain point those are overplayed. I think ESPN is the, you know, the network and the player in, 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 in the space. But it does feed our thinking that local really matters. Yep. Um, if you look at the individual markets on a market-by-market basis, the RSN is typically always number one in terms of most viewed, highest viewership. And if you look at the ratings, Nielsen ratings, you know, from the past year, I mean, out of the top 100 uh, TV events, um, live sports and their championships typically make up the top 40. Wow. Uh, you know, NBA Finals game one, two, three, four, five, six, right? Uh, the Super Bowl, NFC, top. AFC Championship, Stanley Cup Finals, World Series. I mean, that that is always sort of your top 20. And then it filters down to, you know, college football and, and, and March Madness. I mean, yeah. live sports is, is just a hugely, hugely viewed medium. Um, you get a lot of people watching on cable. You should talk esports in terms of viewership for just one second. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the LCS, which is the championship equivalent for League of Legends, which is the biggest esports title out there right now, um, will generate, you know, close to 45 million simultaneous viewers wow. from across the world, right? And it's people watching in South Korea and Europe and North America. And, you know, when you tell people that, they, I think they're kind of astonished when they're not exposed to esports because they go, how many people are watching? I can't and believe that's that. that's appointment I've never, viewing. And I've never heard of that. I've never yeah. watched the League of Legends match, hmm. right? Um, so, you know, we, we've kind of hit on this earlier, but you do get these really unique different audiences with different preferences and um, different needs to cater to also. Nielsen has said that they are now going to um, further – dive into ratings and return on investment for advertisers and try to understand the esports viewer uh, more. And uh, where do you think that they're going to come out on that? Because if you have 45 million people viewing, um, you know, obviously the, 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 the first way to, to monetize on that is through advertising potentially. And, and hopefully the advertising is, is, uh, is driven through data and understanding of that customer relationship. And it's sticky enough where there's conversion. I think it's incredibly important for Nielsen. Um, it makes a lot of sense. It's an exploding category and a lot of big brands are wanting to have more and more data on the space so they yep. can figure out what their 
play will be, and they want to rely on you know big sort of institutional like partners like Nielsen to provide that data to them. So I think it's great for uh, the esports space that Nielsen is getting into it. I also think it's important for Nielsen too, though, um, because you know their rating systems across cable networks and you know uh, sort of uh, over the year television. Um, it's changed and evolved uh, a bit over the years, um, but they, I think they're still trying to figure out a way to capture the entire audience mm-hmm. that's watching. Because right? it's still poll-based, it, right? Yep. It's not just cable boxes or, or boxes in individual homes. It's, you know, hey, there are 300 people in a bar watching the game together, mm. right? How do you account for that as opposed to just one television set? There are a lot of people who are streaming the game. There are a lot of people who may be watching, you know, GIFs as they come out on Twitter and they see every single goal or every single three-point shot or they're watching, you know, someone in the arena, even though they're not supposed to, you know, is Facebook living it? Yeah. Um, you know, these are sort of, this is sort of that new frontier that um, hasn't been accounted for and, and rights holders are trying to be protective and make sure that they kind of preserve their rights. Um, but so, so that, that's a, a, a big bear of a problem to get your arms around. But I, I know that obviously they've been working hard to, to do that. So you do hear articles about, hey, viewership is down in certain categories. You know, I, I think there is an argument to say that maybe there, it is down in some respects, but um, it's also just being viewed in different ways. Right. Um, I don't think that fervor or passion uh, around professional sports teams is is dying by any stretch of the imagination. Right. In fact, in fact, I think it's growing like crazy. Um, so, so that is, I, I think, a big issue that that groups like Nielsen are trying to get their arms around. Hmm. That's really interesting. Thinking through esports from a strategy standpoint, as an owner investor. Is it, if you were to try to explain, you know, why it is that MSE gets involved with Team Liquid, it, from a from a yeah from a macro level, is 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 it more like NASCAR, where you are investing in in the team and you're deploying their utilities out there, you're following everything, making sure that the everything from broadcasting, digital impressions, and sponsors are linked up, and there's a return. So uh, How when we functioning? were thinking about esports, we spent, I mean, honestly, two years trying to educate ourselves on, on what was happening. Hmm. And uh, I, I probably did personal interviews and meetings with a couple dozen people, probably more actually, current investors, people who are already in the space, uh, coaches, players, uh, media networks, both digital uh, and cable related a variety of different publishers. There are a lot of different layers to the ecosystem. And, you know, a couple things emerge. Um, The biggest thing that emerges is it's an explosive category um, that's fueled by incredibly organic growth. It's a a very Mm -hmm. organic community. Um, And, you know, the other thing is that uh, credibility really matters. They can sniff out BS pretty quickly. You, yeah. you really need to um, be a genuinely positive and good actor and be respectful of the community and the players too. Um, you know, some people ask me, well, is eSport a real sport? And typically my answer to that is, well, it doesn't really matter because it's really big and it's important. Um, and, you know, the, the players who are playing these games, they, they want to be treated 
like professional athletes. And um, I went to E3, which is one of the biggest um, video game conferences uh, in the world um, this past June in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, I was talking to people during a, 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 a Quake demo that was being put on by Bethesda Softworks that Team Liquid is also participating in. And uh, I was talking to some people and I said, did you watch the NBA Finals? And they said, no, nah, not really. I don't have cable. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was like, well, well, you know, can you even name me some of the players in the team? I was like, well, I've heard of LeBron. Right. And I was like, really? That That's it? Yeah. And um, they were like, well, yeah, you know, I, I, I watch all my stuff on Twitch. It's all free to consume. And I'm a I'm a huge fan of these couple teams, and I'm a huge Faker fan. Faker is the sort of the, the best, the, right? The, the best the... at League of Legends. Right. And, <laughs> um, and 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 you know, if 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 Faker walked into E3, there'd be like a huge mob of people surrounding him, We're looking right. for autographs and pictures. You know, Team Liquid has this great story of they. I think they tweeted out that they were going to, going to just be hanging out in you know like washington square park or somewhere in new york and within 30 minutes there were so many people there that police had to ask the guys to leave right i mean they were able to activate so quickly on on digital so they they have these huge followings um and even though people who aren't exposed to esports go i've never heard of these guys they they're important right they 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 they're they're influential figures um so you know when we were thinking about getting into esports we had to figure out the right way to play and team liquid is i I think one of the most respected uh brands in the space they're uh i would say they're top five franchise they compete across eight different titles aka games league of legends dota 2 csgo uh hearthstone halo uh super smash Street Fighter amongst uh, a handful of others, so yep. that not many franchises play across that many games. Yeah, I recognize most of those titles. Yeah, yeah. so we've wanted a, a team that was sort of you know omnipresent, so to speak, um, and they they've been a good team too. What, what are how are championships won, and and the I guess the degree of of importance or weight put towards each is is there just a is there is it kind of like golf or NASCAR where you win every time and then you accumulate a point point system? Is there a season? There there are seasons, um, you know, called splits. Yep. Um, and uh, winning is incredibly important, yep. particularly in in some of the leagues where relegation is a real um, hmm. factor, right? Yeah. Um, there's the European football system. Yeah. It is similar in, in in that respects, and you don't want to be in a challenger system trying to get your way back up. Um, you know, Team Liquid has historically had a very good League of Legends team. Um, they 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 actually just won um, what's called the International or TI Seven um, two or three weekends ago in Seattle for Dota Two. Dota Two is kind of regarded as as one of the top three esports titles, and they won the first place grand prize of. Eleven point six million dollars, if you can believe it. I mean, a lot of yeah. prize money. Wow! Um, they sold out the arena in Seattle. They crowd crowdfunded, you know, tens of millions of dollars yep. for the person. I mean, I mean, it was really, really dramatic. Um, most of that, uh, the overwhelming majority of that prize money goes to the players themselves. Um, but it's 
a great thing for the franchise in, in terms of, yeah, doing their next streaming deal um, because they, they do receive rights for, you know, the, the, the streaming rates to, pra- uh, to stream their practice and whatnot. A lot of these guys who, yeah, they, they are streaming and, and during the game, um, but they'll log on on a Tuesday afternoon and, and say, hey, I'm going to go practice these moves, and they might get 50,000 people watching. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's pretty, pretty dramatic. Um, but, yeah, it helps from a, a sponsorship st- uh, standpoint, brand integrity. Um, winning definitely matters yeah. in, in esports. Comparatively, waiting, and it, it's just I, – I, I'm curious to how you guys interpret it in-house – uh, the the traditional way through team sports of winning a championship and that sort of civic alignment that's being built between your fan base here we spent some time on in D.C. and Baltimore and extended in the DMV area uh, and, and kind of modern sports, esports, even even individual sports where there are more championships up for grab. Is there less sentimental value uh, just by nature of that and I suspect, though, as there's more adoption into mass consumption, not just those who are Twitch power users, that you know that that win that that Team Liquid's continuing to accumulate, uh, we'll see in in way of trophies in the MSE offices here in DC. It, it's uh, it's interesting because. You know, if you're in a local region like Washington, you go, well, my hockey team should be the Capitals. My basketball team should be the Wizards. And you're right, there isn't sort of localization in esports. To a certain extent, I think that that's a really unique opportunity for these teams, though. I think one of the great things about esports is that it's automatically international. And when anybody and everybody plays the game, they're playing on a level playing field. And so your score is your score, right? So it's not like playing in one conference or, or one division where you go, oh, well, this conference is better and I got to really weigh how good this player is. It's a level playing field in, yep. in esports. And so, and everyone can see the scoreboard, so to speak. Hmm, yeah. um, and, and, you know, a lot of these players get, get great followings because content production in esports is, is, is big. Team Liquid has, has one of the best production companies out there called um, uh, One Up uh, Studios. And you really get to follow who these personalities are. And, I mean, if you go to any of these events, there are people showing up in Team Liquid jerseys and the like, and they're, they're chanting, let's go Liquid, just yeah. like a regular sporting event. Yeah. Um, and so there is still a huge huh. fan following, even yeah. though it's not tied to a, a certain locale. I think that, you know, maybe in the future, um, sort of the regionalization of, of, of gaming um, could happen. Mm-hmm. It's happening in the NBA with the NBA 2K League. Yeah. Uh, we're one of 17 teams to participate, and that'll launch in the spring. Um, you know, we're, we're hopeful to announce uh, team brand and team name sometime this fall. Um, but yeah, we want people in DC to be, you know, 2K Wizards fans uh, as well. Yeah. Uh, so we'll do some fun and cool promotions and initiatives. Uh, to expose the team to, to Wizards fans and just 2K fans alike in our, our region. Uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Let's face it. Suiting Up Podcast had to get a suit sponsor. And we did. But not just any suit sponsor. This is Indochino, a group that insisted on fitting me first, styling me second, and creating a made-to-measure premium suit for the fall and winter season. You know, all those events I try to get my foot in the door for... Yeah. Listen, 
there are a few things better than a premium custom suit. The only problem is that traditionally it costs an arm and a leg. Indochino is making it easy to get a perfectly tailored suit at an incredible price, choosing from hundreds of top quality fabrics, just how you like it. Moreover, they've serviced hundreds of thousands of men and are now the largest made-to-measure menswear brand in the world. That's a big deal. Here's how you do it. You visit a showroom or shop online at Indochino.com. I visited the showroom in New York. You pick your fabric, choose your customizations, submit your measurements, place your order, and wait for it to arrive in just a few weeks. And now, Suiting Up Podcast listeners, you can get any premium Indochino suit for just $379. That's by going to Indochino.com and entering Ravel at checkout. That is 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. And the shipping is free. So go to Indochino.com, promo code RABEL, any premium suit, $379, shipping is free, enjoy. Suiting Up Podcast. Here we go. So original programming, we'll, we'll, we'll use that to jump into MSN and, and, and what you're leading here um, with the OTT platform. And then even going further to suggest that there are plenty of folks that were born and raised in the DMV that find themselves either abroad or, or another region in the United States that now have access to what you've built um, from a platform standpoint that covers all of not only MSC's properties and teams, but getting into uh, that mirroring image of what's taking place at the youth level and in high school across sports and even shout out to WCAC lacrosse, uh, where we're hoping to continue to, to create a, a, an avenue where those games can be broadcasted on a platform like MSN. What, what, is, uh, what is priority for for you guys right now, um, beyond obviously creating a, a UI UX for the customers that you have, uh, making sure that that's great, but getting into original programming versus more live sports, both. Are there other things, more BTS, short form? Feels like there's just an open canvas. Yeah, I, I think there is. It feeds into what we were talking about earlier in terms of treating Monumental Sports Network a little bit like a Petri dish that I think next year will be more refined, too. Um, you know, we saw some things work on the original programming side and some things not work, and so mm-hmm. we're going, going to adjust accordingly. You're basically I, like a network. Yeah. You're we, your own network. We, we are our own network. I mean, we have our own production team of nearly 40 people. Wow. Um, that's huge for a professional sports team standard. Yeah. So it is a unique opportunity opportunity here and you know we have access to great personalities I, I think people really do enjoy star power and getting to know their favorite athletes in you know a way that that's removed from the court or removed for the, from the rink they want to find athletes in sort of disarming scenarios where they can be candid and talk about life sometimes right i think that's part of the reason why frankly your media has been so compelling uh, and and you know there are groups that they're like the players tribune people love reading the players tribune because it's disarming right you you get an athlete outside of the sort of cliched post-game interview so to speak um and then you know we've also experimented experimented with a variety of formats um short form long form built for social built for sort of longer consumption and uh, we're actually going to trend towards doing more long form and doing hmm. more episodes that are 30 and 40 minutes in length in, in our second year because I think that's what people really associate with 
you know, an over-the-top subscription-based right. network like a Hulu or a Netflix and the like. They want sort of a meaty, content-rich experience. The live game programming is, is, is really interesting. Um, you know, live is, is frankly a little more efficient to produce because you, you set up shop, the live event happens, and then you're done. Right. Right. Where with on-demand programming, you can tweak and editors can work on something for as long as possible, um, you know, it's a bit of a, a work of art. You know, nothing's ever complete. Any, everything can always be better. And so uh, you, you, you want to be efficient with bandwidth and, and, and time there, too. I, I think between us and CSM in Atlantic, you know, we would love to be sort of the one-two punch for all um, sports programming in, in, in D.C., you know, outside of the Nationals games, which are obviously on, on, on Masson, um, and then NFL rights, which, you know, we, we would never compete with and the, and the like. But, you know, we'd love to expand our live game library portfolio to be, you know, a thousand. We'd love to have a thousand games distributed to the DMV. And, you know, streaming high school sports is unique. It, 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 it's been tried and, and, and not always, you know, it hasn't always worked. Um, but, you know, from our perspective, it's a lot of it is celebrating our community too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when we show up to a high school gym to do a high school basketball game, people are like, whoa, that, this is really cool. This is exciting. Oh, yeah. I've never had my game, uh, you know, put on TV, so to speak. And, and, and hey, it's on the same network where you got stuff about um, the Caps. I mean, that, that that's really cool and, 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 and fun. So, you know, we do all of our Mystics games. We do our two arena football league teams. We do our minor league hockey teams our g league team games will be broadcasted on this we have esports programming uh live and on demand we do original programming based on all of our teams and now we've expanded to these grassroots platforms and the other cool thing is that we're able to log the games for on demand viewing later yeah i think it's cool to be able to look back and see sort of a whole history of a season it's like you know you have a season of game of thrones well you have a season of you know washington valor football too now right which is really unique yeah um, and also fun for fans who hey you know i can't make it on 7 p.m this saturday but i'd still like to watch the game at some point yeah for, make it available for the for the customers that you're onboarding we talked earlier about direct to consumer. Do you guys have um, inside outside sales in place where you are capitalizing effectively on a just say as an example a Demathic and Zaga basketball game? You have the, the people that are there. Uh, the tr- I guess the, the the archaic way of looking at high school sports is through message boards that we also spoke about. Uh, I suppose now with MSN you, you don't really need to do that. Um, and, and so, so as such, is it a, a direct-to-consumer approach? Is your, are you going to the teams and the schools? Are you going to the, the youth club teams, doing a little combination of all of them? Yeah. Because onboarding of, in the OTT space is really, really difficult. Yeah. You know, the, the yeah. beauty of OTT is that you're universally uh, available and you do build these direct-to-consumer relationships and you gather a lot of data. Um, you know, the difficult thing is that you are unbundled. You, it, it, we are living in an a la carte sub world and uh and so you know we're proud of the subscriber base that we've built from zero when we when we launched um but you're right it's a lot of grassroots efforts it's you know paid media it's social um a lot of people are still learning that this even exists you know it's our job to try to raise awareness within gyms and the like and say hey you know you're you're your son or daughter is playing and, you know, you, you can watch a replay of the game at home or grandma or grandpa can watch uh, from afar and tune in. You know, that's that's 
a cool experience. And um, I, I think heading into the fall, we'll, we'll be introducing a, a few new looks to the network. And one of them will be a what feels like a 24-7 linear feed. Uh, it'll really feel oh, wow. like real television. Um, and I, I, I think that's an exciting um, proposition for fans. And I also think that, you know, the first time people come to the network, it's going to be very obvious what uh, what this is about. This mm. is a real media network. And um, we're distributing, you know, high quality, high value content live and on demand. Um, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Fans want more and more content from from the teams that matter to them. So to check out the app and download it and subscribe, it, it'll, all those links will be in our show notes on studentuppodcast.com. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. Zach, <laughs> let's talk about maybe some personal hacks. How are you uh, maintaining, you know, mindfulness throughout your busy work schedule? You're about to get married, you know, um, kind of a life, personal life do you carve out specific days on weekends or moments in the morning or, or at night to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to spend some time on me? Good question. Uh, hey, you know, I, this is kind of a silly thing to say, I, I, I feel sometimes, but I, I definitely value alone time. Mm-hmm. I, I, I definitely need time to recharge the battery and gather my own thoughts and um, I know people who meditate and whatnot. I, I, I've tried that. Um, I don't think I have that personal discipline to, to make that a habit. <laughs> I wish I could, but it, it's hard. I, I try to work out, um, you know, three times a week or so. I think that's if, if I don't work out, I can tell I get a little grouchy or a little tense and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just the quirks that you learn. Try to get sleep. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I do try to put myself to bed at a, at a reasonable time whenever I can. Um, sleep really matters. I, I mean, just in terms of function the next day, I, I always feel sleep. How many hours are you big. trying to get? I try to get six to seven. That's great. Seven's a good, seven's, good number. Seven's healthy. Yeah, seven's really good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if I have a ch- an opportunity to, to sleep in on a weekend, I, I obviously do it. Although yeah. now I'm at where I think we're both at the point where, hey, like I can try to, you know, I won't set an alarm and I'll wake up at eight and it's like, ah. Oh, yeah, I couldn't get like an extra thirty yeah. minutes. <laughs> I know it's, it's interesting. Weekends have become my time to I feel um, close the gap on either stuff that's in front of me that I haven't had a time to touch during the week, or further accelerate from potential competitors or other mm-hmm. projects that are going on. I, I I have really begun to enjoy working or carving out three to four hours on a Saturday and Sunday. Yep. Um, one thing that I, I find myself doing on occasion is I'll, I'll start to look at my calendar for the week coming up or something, and I, and I start to think about, am I being reactive or proactive? Hmm. Am I being reactive to a situation and getting and my schedule is being dictated by reaction, or am I proactively pursuing what our objectives and goals are by allocating time to certain things? And so I do try to be as proactive as possible. I think you can get into a reactive rut. Sometimes it's really, really easy to get into. And then I also try to program in my schedule opportunities to do things that are important to me, right? Um, Once a month, my team at the network, we do a community service event. Mm -hmm. We volunteer at a joyful food market uh, put on by Martha's Table at Henley uh, Elementary School uh, in Ward 7. 
That's important, right? If you ask Absolutely. anyone, they would say, oh, I, I, community service is really important to me. And then you'd say, well, well, how many times do you actually do it? And they go, oh, I went, I went once this year. I didn't have any time to do it. When you build it in your schedule, and I, I, I literally, I just sent out calendar reminders for the upcoming season through April and May to my yeah. team. It's, it's in there, right? You're, you're committed. Um, so building those things into a schedule in advance, my calendar, my iCal, my Outlook calendar is sacred. You know, I, 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 that, that I live by it um, for better or for worse. But in opportunities like that, it, it's, it's a great tool to keep my priorities in order too. I've found, and perhaps it's with age, but the power of gifting is far more fulfilling than receiving. We heard it when we were younger, but contributing uh, on, on, you know, in the community through nonprofit vehicles or your own, and uh, you guys have been doing for a long time. Uh, I know that to be very authentic and core to, uh, to what you do on a weekly basis. So iCal, Google Cal, what, what do you guys use? You use other services like a Slack internally? I you ask that. We yeah. don't. You don't. And, and, yeah. and I wonder if we should because I get too much email. You, you probably crazy. have the infrastructure set up <laughs> in place, right? I know. Like, well, how do you I, guys I communicate with so many projects going on? Just I mean, it's, it's a lot of email, yeah. text messaging. You know, I, it's, it's funny. Sometimes <laughs> I look at my phone just like you do, right? And, and it's like I have read notifications on eight different yep. icons and it's like, gosh, there are kind of too many ways to, right. for, 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 for myself to communicate with and for yeah. people to, to reach out to me. You know, I kind of wish it was more simplified. So maybe Slack would be a good solution, but yeah, right now it's, it's just, it's just the email for me. We, we, we have infrequently asked uh, what's on your home screen on this podcast. Uh, but, but you're right. The notification thing for me has, uh, been a bear as I've looked at my. So I keep my phone on Do Not Disturb all the time. All the time. All the time. I only. It's wonderful because it's actually a customizable feature, yep. so you can uh, allow it to pass through calls of importance. Right? Exactly. It only uh, vibrates when it's someone in my favorites list, and I try to check my phone on my own. Right, uh, accord, so to speak. Um, that said, I'm always looking at my phone. It's yeah. a problem. I, I, I will admit it. Um, right. And I mean, it's the most addicting thing that we have. I have since, um, after after advice that I received was really well received, is is shutting off all turn, uh, mm-hmm. or sorry, all push notifications, all notifications in general. So I miss out on my team's group me chat from time to time. I'll go several days without checking in. Uh, social media has been huge. Email is my single most relevant point of stress in my life. Seriously, mm-hmm. because like the, my typical day, I'll have eight or ten meetings, and I that's, love that's it's so many. I can't even process in, that interaction. And um, you know that that's always great. It, it's it's leaving the meeting and having you know five minutes in between to say, oh my gosh, I have all these new emails. Like, what am I gonna do? Oh, I gotta do this tonight. Yeah. You know, that, that so honestly, if if there was a fix to my email problem, it would improve. Yeah. my life dramatically. I'm, Seth, I'm still trying yeah. to figure it out. Seth Godin has coined <laughs> the phrase inbox zero and yes. he tries to get it. it I find that impossible. My dad is the same way. He says it's just a, a lifelong battle to get to white space in your inbox. You're right. just trying to clear it all. So eight to 10 meetings in and a I day. And I also don't go to bed without answering every email. I, I don't, I don't let things roll over to the next day. Huh. I, I won't go to bed until everything on my list is sort of checked for that day, and I, that includes all of my email being addressed. Do you parse out through certain folders based on relative importance of like this needs to get answered before I go to bed? 
Um, no, I mean at every email. Like every, oh, geez. At every yeah. email. Yeah, yeah. I, I, because otherwise it'll just accumulate and mm-hmm. you'll fall behind and, and you'll just never catch up again. Um, one, of, <laughs> one of my um, strategies in 2017 was as best I could to only schedule three meetings a day um, because the meetings take a lot of energy, uh, a lot of thought, follow-up, prep. Um, so Andrew, uh, who's my chief of staff knows that. And yeah, we will book four from time to time, but three a day, because I, I can't, I can't even fathom eight to 10. I wouldn't even be able to I, look at my, email. well, you know, some of them are 30 minute call or, or and I'm, or and I'm doing a sliver of what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I but. mean, it, 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 uh, it keeps you, uh, keeps you busy, I guess. But, um, what about yeah, your home I, screen? I, I, I definitely see there's value in just doing three meetings a day, um, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of stuff, so it, yeah, a lot, lot of constituents. That's to, right. Well, you have to, to make the decisions, and when we're still very talk much. with and connect dots with and whatnot, and yeah, um, got to make sure groups are talking to each other and just working on the same page. Yeah. Well, and and forty people on the production team of MSN, and and you know the, the entire uh, infrastructure you guys have built across the platform. Uh, worth noting, very different, far more accelerated, even in your investment strategy, you do accelerate capital uh, or accelerated capital or, or gross or beyond just growth stage or seed capital. The, the startup differentiator is that uh, you know, I have to still, by virtue of how lean we are, um, answer all these emails and do that. So until we continue to build a, uh, an operational uh, structure as you. The the other thing is, uh, I, I mean, I, I respond to all my email be, uh, every day because to a certain extent, I'm probably a little OCD and I, I want to be able to check the box and I want to be on top of it. It's also a, a level of, you know, personal respect, right? You mm-hmm. know, when I send someone an email, I, I, I hope to get a reply back in within 24, maybe 48 hours, you know. Um, I, I want to try to hold myself to the same standard and you know people deserve that so wow. so yeah. i i, I kind of think it, it's a level of respect thing That's good too. and i i get i get cold emails too uh from just random people yeah. and uh you know that that interesting situations present themselves sometimes right. I, you know you it's fun yeah i like it yeah so favorite apps on your home screen here well, I probably have too many apps to count. I'm on like my sixth or seventh screen. Which Most of is them are crazy. Prob- a lot of them are probably product testing. Speaking um, of all the some of them, yeah, some with. test flight apps and the like. But I mean, uh, on my home screen, I've got all the major four social yeah. networks: Uber, CNN, Weather Channel. I've yeah. got you know my banking app, Sling Player, which I still use mm-hmm. in terms of being able to stream my IKEA box on the on the go, which is cool. Monumental Sports Network, of course, our yeah. team apps, our yeah. venue apps, our league apps. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, our fantasy apps. We're investors in DraftKings. Yep. Um, and then also uh, an investor in a company called Winview, which is all based on on real time fantasy gaming. Kiswe. Yep. We got the Kiswe app. Um, some other OTT service providers because you know like to see what other groups are doing. Fubo TV. Um, authenticated services like NBC Sports, uh, uh, HBO Go, obviously Netflix, um, Pluto TV, Snag yeah. Films. Um, I got like a whole page dedicated to travel. I'm going to try to do my best 
where where we can to get screenshots of this and then post it in the show notes so people can download <laughs> the apps that you have. <laughs> it's kind of pathetic. And then, hey, you know what? You asked me a way I unwind. Every now and then, guilty pleasure, I'll play like a mobile game. For, yeah. You know, just like 15 minutes. <laughs> I like that. Well, what's a good one? Oh, gosh. What have I been playing lately? Um, Fallout Shelter was a yeah. fun one. I know the guys at Bethesda pretty well, and so um, that's a that's a yeah. They're fun big game. game developers. There's a, a fun Game of Thrones uh, game. You've uh, mentioned uh, it uh, enough. Uh, so, um, what did you think of the finale? Did you watch it? Uh, it yes, I did okay. watch it. I mean, obviously, we knew that uh, Danny and and John were eventually going to get together. Right. Um, this season was. Um, how would you say, expedited, it seemed. Yeah. It seemed like things happened really fast. They were moving from north of the wall to, you know, back to, what is it, Dragonstone, yeah. and then to... They uh, were like King's consecutive Landing. series finales, yes. like quality shows. Oh, yeah. I mean, trust me, I was entertained by every episode. Yeah. I, I, I read that the next season isn't going to come out until, like, 2019. Yeah, I heard November, and then something recently said 2019, only six episodes. Oh, gosh, that's so bad. I wish it was out sooner. Um but yeah, I, I'm thrilled to see how it ends. It's one of the few shows that I uh, I don't watch with my fiance. She she hasn't gotten into yeah. it, so it also well, gives good me license time, to, to to watch on my own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, it, it's uh, it's a fun it's a fun show. HBO makes such great stuff. Yeah, I mean Netflix does too now. House of Cards is such a great show. Yeah, big dollars are going towards original content, original oh programming now. Yeah, you know, you read a lot about we're at peak TV. We're definitely in peak TV. I mm-hmm. mean, between what all the cable networks are paying to produce high-quality programming and now what Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, um, you know, and soon Apple. Apple. Facebook, yeah. Yeah, you know, Facebook just launched their big video platform. I mean, content is the the name of the game. Yeah. Um, you know, it's part of what, the reason why we're doing what we're doing. How about how about uh, two final questions? One, um, advice to undergrads that want to get in sports business. From my perspective, I always said it's incredibly fun. Uh, you have people who work meticulously hard. Um, there is the combination of community and passion. When we look at what are big drivers in this world for us, it's usually um, sports, faith politics right and sports being involved in that is pretty and pretty powerful thing but there are very few available positions when you yeah, talk about it, that it, so it, what it, what would you tough. give as advice what, what i would say is um specialization matters and you gotta love it um i think that um some people who aren't exposed to the professional sports industry just go oh well i'm a huge fan and and so i'll i'll really enjoy it but they can be long hours sometimes you Mm -hmm. know a a lot of our um people here you know are are working you know 9 a.m to 11 p.m on a regular basis they're staying through the game and then they're working after the game Mm -hmm. and um there is a there's a grind to the regular season particularly when we have you know all of these these teams too um you you can imagine a baseball team with 162 games it's a lot of games um we have two teams that play 82 game seasons respectively and then we don't really have an off season anymore right now in the summer we're mystics two arena football league teams uh, we're gonna add a, the you know a g league team next fall that plays from you know basically october november through the spring well, what we're finding um, out with the nba is the the off season is actually your time it's a year-round thing now so you know, what the back of bleach report and complex and and seeing what what they're doing because of the relationships that adam silver has built yep 
Definitely. I've and never the seen The offseason is a great planning period. I mean, you're, you're working just as hard in the offseason yeah. to get ready for the next season mm-hmm. as, as you are in, in, the, you know, in the middle of a regular season. Honestly, I've never seen less attention to the NFL. What does the season start next week or something? Mm-hmm. Because I'm on my phone and I'm following Bleacher and, and Complex, and they're still putting NBA Finals highlights up, and I'm still looking at basketball. It's amazing what they've done. Hey, that's uh, that's music to our ears. Obviously, I mean, we love basketball. We love we love hockey. We think that indoor sports are particularly relevant um, because they're um, there's a quality control to the actual game itself that you don't have to worry about weather or sort of uh, those sort of in- intangibles. Yeah. Um, there's a huge ability to track data. Yeah. By hanging cameras and, and, and different uh, measurement tools from the roof and the, the ceiling that, that really lead to big engagement in terms of content, but also in terms of gaming and fantasy. I think that, you know, fantasy is an incredibly important factor that really isn't talked about. It, it's talked about in the vacuum of fantasy, but not in terms of how teams view it. And I think that, you know, the NBA in particular has, has done a great job of leaning into that. Adam Silver wrote that famous op-ed uh, in the New York Times a couple of, of years ago, and you know, we're, we're really lucky to have such a great commissioner, and, uh, and we do. He really is the, the greatest. Uh, Gary Bettman in the NHL is also just a fantastic mm-hmm. leader for, for the NHL, amazing. and and both leagues are growing like crazy. I mean, we're, we're, we're very, very, very lucky. Um, what was your original question? It was about how do well, you get it into was sports? Great. It, it was great. It was great, yeah. And, and, and you so, got to love it, but it's also specialization too, right? You, you can't just say – well, I want to work for the team because I like the team. That's great. We, we think that's important. But we really want you to be passionate about your specific role and, and business function. You know, are you passionate about sales? Are you passionate about brand marketing? Are you passionate about um, you know, media ops? And then you know, what have you done before to, to prep you? you know, a lot of times we'll get referrals and we'll say, well, did you, um, did you, uh, were you a manager on your college basketball team? You know, mm-hmm. Did you help? pick up the towels? Did you work in your athletic department office? You know, like what did, what did you do to hustle and, 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 and get things together? Hmm. Um, and those little experiences matter. Um, they totally, totally, totally matter. Um, and you know, I think the most unfortunate thing is that there are only a certain amount of teams, right? There are only 30 NBA teams. That's right. There are now 31 NHL teams. There's only one in each town. Uh, if there's one in your town, so there has to be some sort of flexibility as to where you might want to live and work too to, to sort of get that first step in. And, you know, we don't operate sort of on recruiting classes like a big bank would or something like that. Um, you know, it, it's just-in-time hiring. Hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we have some great, great people here who have been, you know, in their positions for, for a while because they're awesome and they love it. Uh, so it, 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 it is difficult, but um, specialization, um, being willing to hang in there, put in the long hours, and then network and, and, and hanging around the hoop sometimes. It, yeah. it, it is great to show up at conferences um, and, and mingle and put yourself out there and, mm-hmm. and, and, and take the unpaid internship opportunity, mm-hmm. even though, you know, it, that's not a fun thing to do all the time. Showing a willingness to, to work, that, that makes a huge, huge, huge difference yeah. in breaking in. I think in, in modern times, athletes now are uh, presenting themselves as their own respective brands with business entities underneath their umbrella and marketing opportunities to get on their social side and help different 
than you know your traditional financial or real estate sectors where to gain experience or quote unquote hard skills you'd need that internship. I would advise some of our um, younger listeners to you know, reach out to an athlete and potentially say, "Hey, what can I do to help build your social media?" Or, or, or study what they're doing, see if they're operating or if they're investing in other groups, and say, "Hey." Can I create a portfolio now while I'm young and gain experience that way? I think there are um, there are more creative opportunities in sports while you're young. You mentioned unpaid internships to really build a portfolio um, as you then apply for actual jobs out of school. For you and your wide skill set and all the platforms that you're in, this is the last question. You've been very generous with your time. <laughs> oh, this is fun. This is, this is this is the greatest part of this day so far. Where are you aggregating all of your intel? Um, is it through email newsletters? You know, you mentioned the apps that were on your home screen and 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 constantly reading. I get a lot from uh, from Twitter uh, mm. in terms of people tweeting out links. Uh, I do a lot of reading on my own. Uh, I subscribe to a lot of industry magazines. Um, Sports yep. Business Journal is, is, a is a great resource. If you are a young person who is trying to break into sports and you want to get up to speed on where the big opportunities are, what's happening, you need to subscribe to uh, publications like that. Synopsis is another mm-hmm. great one out there. I, I mean, they, they give you such great um, perspective across all leagues. We, I read it now because, I mean, I, we want to know what our peers are doing, mm-hmm. right? It's it's incredibly important. And um you know, people are really smart. There are some really great things going on right there that, that you go, geez, I never thought of that. Uh, we should think about doing something like right. that too. Um, I also try to read, you know, I would say publications that are outside of sports and business uh, too. You know, I, we want to know what's happening in the, you know, the gig economy mm-hmm. and Internet of Things because – I think one of the things we think about is the you know sort of a mashup of seemingly unrelated businesses or industries and and how they could complement each other. Um, there's got to be some cool IoT opportunities here at Verizon Center or with our teams, and we yeah. they just haven't been thought of yet or something, yeah. right? Um, so we do like to kind of think about different industries and 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 what a potential touch point might be. I think I think frankly that's a strength of my dad's. Um, and that's something that I've tried to learn from and tried to adopt as well. Um, and then, you know, some people cold email me. I'm not afraid to cold email some people either sometimes, right? Every now and then I'll read an article and I'll go, geez, that's really cool. And I'll look up their website and, you know, I go in the about section. I go, well, you know, this is a cold email. I don't know if I'll get a reply back and I'm not sure if I even deserve it, but here goes nothing. And most part, most of the time you get a reply back, you yep. know, and, um, you know, even if it's just a conversation to learn more about what they're doing, create a touch point, you know, I think that that can be valuable sometime down the line because you never know when think something changes or uh, opportunity presents itself, um, you wake up one morning and something's different and you never expected it to be different and you're prepared to to act on it, so to speak. Um, so I, I try to read a, a wide variety of publications. Variety is a great magazine that I really enjoy. Um, but if you're trying to break into sports, SBJ is a really, really good place to start. Yeah. Well, all great recommendations, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you, time. Paul. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I, I think it's awesome that you're doing this. I can't believe you already have 16 episodes out. Yeah. 
<laughs> when is when is this one gonna come out? Or am I spoiling it? It'll be it'll depend on when you well, edit it's out it. Now. It's out. Okay. It's well obviously <laughs> it's it's out right. if no, you're listening to we're it. We're gonna get but... it out soon. Okay. Uh, so within a few weeks, honestly, we we logged the first five as we built this show, and I was expecting it to be seasonal, so I was probably gonna do ten if I was lucky. This is and kind then... of a letdown in terms of your guests. You had some high profile no people. Way. No way. You're you our had first Belichick, like, sports you had owner. Venus. Yeah. yeah, who else did you have? Maybe you had Hasselbeck, you had Jamie yeah. Lynn, you had Drew, Drew Brees. Brees. Yeah. Actually, two of our wow. top five downloads, That's awesome. one of them is a pro lacrosse player, Drew Westervelt, uh, and the other was D. Smith. And the feedback that we get, and I suspect that I'm hoping that we'll get the same from this show, is that established rapport. It's just really – it makes a conversation. What I love about this medium is is that it is not your traditional interview. We're participating in the conversation together. Uh, it's it's very raw. It's intimate. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like as we started, people are in this office with us listening. Yep. They heard the sirens go by on F Street and there's – Yep. If, no you, if you couldn't hear, there is literally a fire station right oh, on the opposite why? corner <laughs> of my office. So there are plenty of times where I'll be on like a conference call and I'll be like, oh, I got to go on mute for like five seconds, right. guys. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Otherwise, it's gonna you know blow your eardrums. Okay. Um, yeah, the uh, the perils of uh, living and working in a city, but uh, and a soon to be parade it. down here when we maybe hopefully when you ho- bring ho- a hopefully one day we yeah. uh, I, I pray we can we can be that lucky and fortunate one day. But I, I Paul, I really value you as a friend. I, I'm I'm thrilled to do it. Um, I was uh, flattered when you asked me. Yeah. So awesome to make this happen. Thanks, buddy. If you enjoyed Zach Leontis as much as I did, please be sure to let us know. And as always, at the end of the show, I'm going to give you one big takeaway this time, and that is that every customer matters. That's right. Zach gets invited to speak at South by Southwest, Rico Decode, Entrepreneur Panels, Bloomberg, you name it, every year. And with all that, he carved out meaningful time with us. He also responds to every email quickly. Zach, don't worry, I'm not going to pass out your email. Although, I'm sure if I did, he wouldn't mind and he'd probably respond to everyone. So, that's one way that we can all care about our customers. And even Ted did it when he purchased the caps and still does today through the Twitter vehicle. Continue the conversation with me on social media and Zach. You can tweet at us, at Paul Rabel and at Zachary Leonsis. And be the first to listen to future episodes as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with New England Patriots head coach Bill Belichick, entrepreneur and investor Gary Vaynerchuk, former NBA star Jay Williams, Julie Foudy, Drew Brees, Jeremy Lin, Venus Williams. There are many more. You can find all these episodes and more on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher. There are a lot, but wherever you listen to your pods, we are there. Shortcut to our show notes, including everything Zach Leonsis, MSN, MSE, DC Sports. You can do that by visiting suitinguppodcast.com. And that's it, everyone. Until next time. Oop, shout out to our show's sponsors today, Away Travel and Indochino. It's great to have a suit sponsor on Suiting Up Podcast. Anyway, thank you all very much. We have some awesome guests coming up, and I cannot wait till next week.